Good morning, everybody. Hi there. So I've got a, a bunch of announcements. Uh, oh, but before I do that, hello, everybody online. And if you're new here, welcome. We are New Life Church, and we're different every Sunday. Our groups are different every Sunday. It's pretty cool. We always have different faces, and it's, it's great. So, you guys all ready? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us a place to come and meet you. Lord, we come here to worship you, to learn from you, and Lord, to, to see that light that you put in each and every person that has accepted you, to see it filtered through uh, their experience. So Father, we just thank you for your multifaceted ways and the ways that you uh, continue to love us and and to provide and, and to um, really just guide us through this life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, lots of announcements. Here we go. Good Friday is on a Friday. And that Friday will be April 7th. <laughs> so April 7th at 6 p.m., we will have our Good Friday service, and it will be at the fairgrounds. So that Sunday after is our Easter Sunday, and that also will be at the fairgrounds on April 9th, and that will begin at 10 a.m. Uh, neither one of these services are live streamed, so we are coming together in person. And then after that Easter service, we're going to have a community egg hunt. So am I going too fast? I'm sorry. We're going to have an egg hunt after that, so prepare for that, which probably means boots and, you know, things to clean melted chocolate off your hands. That's how it always happens. Um, and April 21st, we're going to have a women's fellowship night. It'll be here at the church. Uh, there'll be some teaching, worship, fellowship, of course, and... Uh, so bring a friend and bring an appetizer to share. And also, Rooted will begin on April 25th, that Tuesday. We gather every Tuesday, starting on that date. Uh, we gather every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And if you have any questions about Rooted, it's our core discipleship course here at the church. It's 10 weeks long, and I can answer all the questions for you. Because I'll be there. Um, so yeah, come find me afterwards or come to the info desk. And if I'm uh, occupied, uh, somebody definitely tell you. Most, most pe everybody in our church is taken rooted. So, um, And that's for veteran Christians or brand new Christians. Just goes over the rhythms of a Christian life. Okay. I real quick want to pray over our tithes and offerings. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to share in sacrificial giving with you. Lord, you provide the first fruits and then we return them to you. We ask that you remember us, 
in our faithfulness to you, and we remember your faithfulness that is constantly chasing us. Lord, you are so good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The ways we give, we have a box out, out in the lobby. We also have a mailbox. We also have online our website, newlifehistoria.com, which is also where you can find lots of information. And then there's the Church Center app. And everybody, please rise. We're about to enter in some worship here. And if you find it valuable to, uh, to make your offering during your musical worship, I just want to open it up for you that we also have the giving plates here. Um, there is something powerful about approaching the altar, and we might give you that opportunity if, if you like that. So uh, thank you for your time. Let's begin worship. We love you. 
Jesus, we love you so much this morning. And we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that you shed. We thank you for your body being broken for us so that we might be forgiven and so that we might have life eternally with you in heaven. Lord, we just have so much to thank you for. We exalt you. We worship you. And we just want to lift you up this morning and let you know just how much we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
hear God started in your house. Start it right here now, God. Yes. Oh, start it in me. Light us on fire. Starts with us. Light our hearts on fire, God. Oh, it starts with us, God. When I was listening to that set today, a uh, song came to mind that I just, some of you may know it, some of you may not, but I just want to sing it. Can I do that? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Is that true about you today? Let's sing it one more time. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving us something we did not deserve, providing a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and a way for us to live forgiving as people. Encourage our hearts today to hear your word, to be open to it, let revival start in us today because we've met you at the cross. Change our lives today forever. We love you. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Y'all may be seated. Kids are dismissed. Teens stay with me. Teens have to stay with me today. Woo! This is a good teen message. I'm ready. I told Deborah, I... Uh, I told her that I was begging God to give me something nice to say. You ever just get that where you just need something nice to say, but there's nothing nice to say? I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm gonna, I feel like I was apologizing to, to, to people that I didn't even preach to yet. But I believe what I'm preaching today with all my heart. And I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to not muddy it up with my words. I'm going to use a lot of his. Amen. That way, if you've got a problem, you've got a problem with God, not with Pastor Andy Roberts. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to sh- just, just say it. Just say it the way it comes out. <laughs> Judges chapter 8 and verse 1 in the NLT. And I use the NLT because the ESV, which is what I usually use, just made me explain more than I needed to explain because it said the same thing. It just made me explain it a little bit more. So Judges chapter 8 and verse 1. Do you remember that moment when you met Jesus at the cross? When you first saw the light? Did that burden of your heart roll away? I'm just saying. I love that. That had nothing to do with Judges chapter 8. Then the people of Ephraim asked Gideon, Why have you treated us this way? 
Why didn't you send for us when, we first went out to, when you first went out to fight the Midianites? And they argued heatily with Gideon. Real world pastoral problems. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just had to throw that in there for the dig. Where am I? There I am. But Gideon replied, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest where you're from a better life, and I'm just throwing that in, better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abiezar? God gave you victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commanders of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. The men of Ephraim were angry because they weren't invited to, by God to the initial battle. And that's, we've studied that over the last several weeks. And it's because God didn't need them in the main battle. And we don't like that. That's, that, that the evidence of pride is when God says, I don't need you, and you get mad at God. Amen. He loves you, wants you, but he may not need you for a specific battle. Amen. Amen. But that upsets you because you, you want to be included in everything. Or you at least want to be asked. I hear that all the time. I at least want to be asked. Sign of pride. This is free. Okay, I can tell. I'm not sure whether you're with me or not now. But God did lead Gideon to call them into battle of the tributaries, which we talked about last week, where Ephraim captured two princes of Midian, which were the greater victories than even Gideon got. So they had weren't needed in the initial battle, but when God gave them an opportunity, they had these great victories in their lives, greater than even Gideon. And I thought about what this is. What, what, what was going on with this argument with Ephraim over Gideon? And I summarized it down to it's the battle of entitlement. Entitlement is the feeling that something is owed to you earned by you, expected by you. Entitlement is believing that you have a right to something. And Ephraim believed they had a right to something that wasn't theirs. It wasn't their place. God didn't need them. God didn't call them. God didn't have them for that. He had something else for them. Entitlement is a posture of pride. It is saying that I deserve something more. I have a right to something that maybe God has not given you. Recently, I spoke to two young pastors. When I say young pastors, I'm almost 60. So when I'm talking young, they're in the mid-30s. But they've been pastoring about half the time that I've been pastoring. And both of them said the exact same thing about this moment in time. Not this generation. Don't be talking about millennials being this and Gen Z being this and Throw all that out. We're talking about this moment in time where all of us are included. And they said, this is a generation of entitlement. The old people are entitled. Young people are entitled. Everybody's entitled to something that God never gave you. Amen. Young and old believe they're entitled to an opinion about everything. Amen. I was reading this nice little post that somebody put online and somebody thought didn't like it so they, they thought they're entitled to say something negative you're not entitled to that it wasn't your post you want to kill entitlement cut off the comments section 
Let them think it in their head. Let them keep their negativity right there. They can dwell there, live there. Young and old believe they have a right to authority that hasn't been given them. I talked to a couple of different employers in the last few weeks, and both of them said the same thing about this generation. They'll hire somebody, and the, hire, the guy that's hired thinks he's entitled to the same money that somebody who's been working for the company for 25 years. There's this entitlement. I have to start at the bottom? I'm not going to work here unless I start at the top. And for some reason, McDonald's is paying better wages, and I don't know what happened there. Okay, that was no fun. <laughs> like Ephraim, few are satisfied with their place in life. Because we think we're entitled to something greater. More. The small victories that God gives you are not enough for the entitled. So God could repair your marriage and that wouldn't be enough for you. You think you're entitled to more. Just repairing your marriage is a miracle in itself. But it's not enough. Just forgiving you of your sins and saving you from your sins is not enough for the average Christian. We think we're entitled to more. Yes, Jesus saved me, but I want more. How much more do you need than forgiveness of sins? He did the work. He suffered on the cross. He paid the price. But you think you're entitled to more. Okay, that was fun. The tributary ministries are not enough for the entitled. No, nobody, nobody wants to work in children's ministry in this world anymore. They all want the platform. Why does everybody want the platform? I don't want the platform and I can't get away from it because I'm not entitled to decide that, make that decision. I can't tell God I won't do something because I surrendered my life to him. Amen. When I surrendered, I surrendered the whole thing, which was stupid. <laughs> because then I took away anything I was entitled to because I just surrendered it all up, which we'll talk about today. You can't wait till we get there. You can tell you're excited now. We think we're entitled to be recognized, respected, to reign over our kingdom, even his kingdom. And God forbid if Gideon does not give us what we want. God forbid if God does not do what we want him to do. Things that we think we're entitled to. They accused the authority God gave them fiercely. They were angry. Generally when I find somebody who's angry, it's because they're entitled. Or they think they're entitled. And they didn't get what they wanted. So now they're mad. Angry young men tend to be entitled young men. That was free. That's my old man coming outside. Forgive me for that. <laughs> Though their victories were greater than Gideon's, they felt they were entitled to more. It's not enough to serve regular coffee anymore. It's not enough. I'm not going to that church. They don't serve specialty coffees anymore. <laughs> to my liking. And when they do, they don't make it the way the Starbucks is. We're not a Starbucks. We're not trying to be Starbucks. Or Dutch bros. Yeah. <laughs> I knew there was an idol worshiper in the place. It was a, it's a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. Oh, stop joking in the middle of a 
tough sermon. Come on, what's wrong with you? That was, no, that's one going to cost me. That might be free to you, but it, I'm going to pay for it. It's not enough. Nobody wants to be a simple servant of the Most High God. Nobody wants to just surrender their lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when we do, we have things that we think we're entitled to because we've done that. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today because I don't want to use too many of my words because of stupid statements like I just made. I'm going to try to keep me out of it. We're just going to get God in it, okay? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1 through 12 is a story where Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. There's a principle here. They preach, they tell you what the Bible says, but they don't do what the Bible says. So when we're talking about entitled people, we're talking about people who say they know what the Bible says, but they don't do what the Bible says. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others because they think they're entitled to praise and glory and honor. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They, they want to look like they're hyper-spiritual or sound like they're hyper So they just get a bigger Bible. That's what happened when I was growing up. The, the guy with the biggest Bible was the most spiritual person in the church. And it couldn't just be thick big. It had to be. Like you had to wheel it in on a cart. And you had your own pew and you laid out the scriptures out in front of you. And wrote notes, copious amounts of notes. Okay, I'll get, I'll get to it. And they, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. This is the Christ saying, it's me. It's in red. <laughs> the greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest husband on the planet is a servant to his family. The greatest wife on this planet is a servant to her family. The greatest teenager on the planet takes out the garbage without complaint <laughs> and doesn't even have to be asked. They predetermine they're going to be a servant in the house. Amen. They don't think they're entitled to do nothing because they're teenagers. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm waiting for mothers and fathers to say things to their kids right now. I'm just <laughs> I'm leaving the opportunity open. And then he goes on to say, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Jesus said, don't seek entitlement. Because there's one entitled, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. The greatest among you needs to be your servant, and a servant has no rights. Are you with me? A servant is entitled to nothing but responsibility. 
Now, we're not going to like this because of what I'm saying, but that's how God defines servanthood. And Jesus said, if you will not humble yourself, you'll be humbled. One day. One day you'll be humbled. So you want to be entitled, be entitled all you want, but one day you're going to stand before an almighty God and say you were not entitled to what you thought you were entitled to. And in front of everybody, you're going to be humbled. Luke 7, 17, 7. This is one of Pastor Angelo's favorite passages of Scripture, and he giggles every time he teaches it. He says, Will any of you who has a servant, plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Let me take care of you. He's a servant. He says, Which one of you has a servant who comes into the house and you say, No, 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 you take a break. Put your feet up on my couch. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly? See, we think the servant has, is entitled to better treatment. That's not how servants are viewed in the Bible. I don't care whether you like it or not. I'm telling you, this is what God is saying, and I'm not going to argue with what God's saying. Amen. Prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat, and then afterwards you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what, what he was commanded? We, we, have this entitled, we have this thing where we think we're entitled to somebody saying thank you. Like a wife should say thank you to the husband for being a husband. You're expected to be a husband. Amen. If she didn't need a husband, she wouldn't have married you. Because now you're just getting in the way. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. <laughs> See, as a servant, the duty is to do whatever you're asked to do. As long as you're asked to do it, without complaint, without entitlement, without thinking that you're worthy of more or better or whatever, you're called to be a servant. But nobody wants to be a servant to the Most High God. So that was all introduction. So today, today I'm just speaking to the Christian who thinks they're entitled. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not, I'm not really going to help you a lot today. Other than you're going to hear me chew out Christians, which is going to be fun. Because there's Christians that aren't content with their place. They're not content with their life. They're not content with the life that God has given you. You think you're entitled to something better. We weren't even entitled for salvation. Yet he gave it to us anyway. And some of you Christians are not satisfied with the victories God's given you. God's done so much in your life, but it's never enough. You think you're entitled to more or better. Well, if God fixed my wife, maybe she can change some other things about her. Make her even better. We think we're entitled to more. So I want to say something to you in very clear words because we're going to take a little bit of a twist here because I began to think about what this means to be entitled and how we, as Christian, a Christian people, have a tendency to think we're entitled to more. 
greater, better. And I'm telling you, this is not a message that the average Christian wants in this day. We want to hear that we're entitled to everything that we want. That we're going to move God to move mountains for us because we want the mountain moved. Not because God needs it moved, but because we want it moved. And we think we're entitled to that mountain being moved. So let me say this to you in very clear words because this is going to be the summary of the rest of the sermon. And we'll be done in about 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes. Entitlement. I'm going to make this clear. Entitlement is the denial of Jesus Christ. To live an entitled life is to deny, deny who Christ is and was. Denial is to know what is, tr- is true, but we confess it as false. Jesus is the only one who's truly been entitled, and he deserves all the glory and honor and praise. But he chose to give up his own desires, his own comforts, his own, and his own pleasures that we might be restored to God. Jesus laid down all he was entitled to. We're followers of Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Is that not true? He is our Savior. We, we follow him. And he laid down his life, all that he was entitled to, so that we might have eternity. He gave up what was entitled to him so that you and me might have eternity. And when we don't lay down what we think we're entitled to, we're actually denying who Jesus Christ is. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves. This is the way Christians ought to think. This is the way Christians ought to think. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. We ought to think like Jesus. Who, in the, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. God gave us a mind to think for ourselves, to make choices. Either we're going to be like Jesus or we're not going to be like Jesus. That's what he's saying. You're either going to think like Jesus and act like Jesus or not. But as believers, our choices are to be like that of the Christ to which we follow. There's an expectation that God has that if we're claiming Jesus to be our Savior, that we will, we will, we will be like him. Amen? Amen? Get in this with me or we're going to take all the fun out of it. Though he was in the form of God, meaning his eternal form and in his deity, which was entitled to the same glory and honor and praise as God the Father. In fact, God, God's word says that he's got a name above every name, that one day every knee's going to bow and tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. There is no one greater, there is no one more deserved of praise and honor and glory than Jesus Christ. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality to God a thing to be grasped, meaning he released that which he was entitled to. We claim Jesus to be our Savior. We're supposed to be like him. We're going to have the same mind as Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ. Then we've got to release the things that we think we're entitled to. He already had equality with God. He just chose to not hold on to it for our sake. And the Bible says he emptied himself, which is a huge statement. 
This is not Jesus giving up his deity, but what his deity entitled him to. He did not become less God. He just denounced the rights that he had. He was a king who laid down his crown to become a commoner that we might become a child of God. He was a king who laid down his crown to become a commoner that we might be, become his children. How did he empty himself? He took on the form of a servant. How do you, how do you empty yourself? You take on the form of a servant. You act like a servant. You stop with the entitlement. In addition to his deity, he added servitude. He didn't have to. He's the son of God and God the son. He did not have to let go of what he was entitled to because he was actually entitled to glory and honor and praise. I don't know what you've done that's so special, but you're not entitled to it. In comparison to him, well, I've been a good person. The Bible says our goodness, our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Used women's feminine hygiene products. That just made everybody really nervous. That's what filthy rag means when it talks about that. Being born in the likeness of men, though he was God, he became man. And in doing so, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about this. Jesus Christ allowed man, humanity, to beat him up and beat him down and crucify him on the cross. The very creator allowed the creation to kill him so that we might be saved. He let go of what he was entitled to and emptied himself so that through his humility, he would save humanity. I'm going to say that one more time because I don't know if you got it. He let go of what he was entitled to. Jesus Christ, our Savior. We just sang about him. Remember him? He let go of what he was entitled to and emptied himself that through his humility, he might save humanity. So when we act entitled... We deny the very Christ we claim to follow. When we act entitled, we deny the very Christ we claim to follow. Can I make this statement? The most prized virtue in the life of any Christian is humility. One thing that we should all be working for, striving for, trying to be is humble. I was reading in um, Isaiah chapter 2, which thank you for those of you who prayed for me to finally get out of Isaiah chapter 1. I finally got out of Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm flying through Isaiah chapter 2. But Isaiah chapter 2 talks about a time when there's the, this millennial kingdom where Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to rule and reign over the earth. And during that millennial kingdom, there's going to be two things that are going to be uh, not allowed, idolatry and pride. So you can wait till a thousand-year reign to humble yourself. Because there will be no pride. Meaning, if you're a pride, prideful person, you might not be there. The most prized virtue in the life of any Christian is humility. Because it, it's to be like Christ. When we give up our rights, we become stunningly similar 
to Jesus Christ. To not give up our rights is to deny the very Christ we claim to believe. 1 John 2.6 says, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. We should look like him. We should live our lives the way Jesus lived. And if he humbled himself and he gave up anything he was entitled to, why should we hold on to things that we think we're entitled to? Everywhere a Christian goes, we are either confessing Christ with our life or we're denying him with our life. Which one of these are you? Let's get a little more personal. Let's get a little more specific. Let's get into some bigger passages of Scripture. Because I, I, there's lots of things that I, I could say, um, teach that we think we're entitled to. We, we think we're entitled to our money, even though the Scripture teaches that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not law. It's not, it's not a law. It was given before the law. But you get money in your hand and you think you're entitled to it. It belongs to you. No, it doesn't. It belongs to God. He's the one that created this earth. Everything that you do and to make money came from him and his work. That was free. I'm not even going to preach on that. So those of you that are like, oh, you're going to talk about money. It's mine. We deny Christ. There's two things I'm going to talk about today because I wanted to keep it simple. We deny Christ when we think we're entitled to not forgive someone. We deny Christ when we think we're entitled to not forgive someone. I hear this all the time by people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ and taught by Christians who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ that you don't have to forgive. No, no, that's too bad. Whatever they did to you was... Like there's a line and I'll forgive you for everything under the line, anything over the line, not going to forgive, not going to do it. I'm entitled to be angry. I'm entitled to be wounded. I'm entitled. And I'm not saying that the thing that the act that they did didn't hurt you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the problem is you're not, you think you're entitled to hold on to it. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. We're going to have fun with this one. Then Peter came up and said to him, why is it always Peter, by the way? That's just a side note. <laughs> Whenever we deal with pride, Peter's... Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That sounds hyper-spiritual. I'll forgive you seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some passages saying the same thing says 490 times. So in a day, you're supposed to forgive. Let's just call it 77 times. We'll use this passage. In a day, when somebody wrongs you, you're supposed to forgive them 77 times. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on and he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is maybe compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now he's talking about a heavenly relationship where Christians are supposed to dwell we, where we dwell is in the kingdom of God. We are under his authority and under his responsibility. Once Christ becomes our savior, that's where we dwell. So he says, let me just tell you the story about what Christian life is like. He went, he went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, he was, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. That's about $3 million. 
I don't know about you, but if you owed somebody $3 million right now and they said, hey, I want that money back right now, could you pay that back? Most of us couldn't do it. We can make the debt, but paying it off is a whole different thing. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. You remember that moment when you did that with Jesus? Come on now. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Released him and pay him the debt. Released him and paid his debt. In the kingdom of God, God will forgive you and he will release you of a debt that you cannot pay and he will forgive you for what you've done. That's done through Jesus Christ. That's how it works. When you get on your knees and say, God, I've sinned against you and I need to be forgiven, he will forgive you. He will release you of the debt. How many of you are living forgiven right now? Like, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. Six of us. That's awesome. We're going to have a great time. I don't know where the rest of you are living, but I'm living forgiven. But when the same servant went out, who was just forgiven of $3 million, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, about 30 bucks. About 30 bucks. About 30 bucks. He was forgiven for 3 million, runs into somebody who owes him 30 bucks. I don't know. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. Violent. 30 bucks. You ever get that mad over 30 bucks? Come on now. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, let's, we're not going to go too far ahead. He put him in prison. Have you ever dealt with a Christian who would not forgive you for what you've done? And they put you in sinner's prison. Like, you constantly have to live with the fact that you failed somebody and you're, in, you're imprisoned by this other person until you pay the debt. And it's like you're in that prison. You can't work now. You can't, you, you can't make up for what you've done because you've already done it. And they won't let you out because they've been forgiven by, for three million by Jesus Christ, but they owe you 30 bucks because you gave them a dirty look or you had an attitude or you didn't take out the garbage like your parents told you to. And they put you in prison. And I know a lot of you are living in prison where somebody will not forgive you. Like, do you have somebody in your life who they, they just will not forgive? They claim to be believers. In, I get it if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. But if they claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ and they have been forgiven of all of their sins and they put you in prison for your $30 debt, When his fellow servants, because I'm going to help you out in what to do if you're in prison. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. I love the word of God. I love it because it's true. If you've got somebody who will not forgive you of a sin, and they claim to be a Christian, and they put you in prison, go tell God about it. Don't whine to them. Just say, Father, they will not forgive me. I, 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 that's what it's saying. Report to the master all that had taken place. If they claim to be a Christ follower, they are denying Jesus by not forgiving. And you want out of prison, you better go talk to the father about it. Don't fight the prison bars. Don't fight the jail. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. This is talking about the kingdom of God. This is talking about where we live as Christians. And this is a a truth that Jesus is teaching, a principle about entitlement. I'm entitled not to forgive. No, you're entitled to forgive because that's what Jesus did. And you're in prison. He said, just report it to the master, all that had taken place. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all that debt. Wait a minute. The scripture is teaching that if you will not forgive, or that that if you ask for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven by Jesus. But if somebody else wrongs you and you don't forgive them, they can put you in prison. You can be imprisoned to an angry, bitter person. Have you ever been imprisoned to that kind of person? Like, you can't, like, you did something 10 years ago and they just keep bringing it up. It's like, I can never be free from this mistake. Like, you've never committed it again. You repented of your sin. You've got it right. You don't do it anymore. But they just keep you in prison. Talk to the Father. Because it angers him when we ask for forgiveness, but we don't give forgiveness. Because we are denying Jesus. Everything about Jesus Christ is about forgiveness. Everything about him is about forgiveness. His whole coming was to pay for our sins. And he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all that debt. What what does the jail look like for somebody who won't forgive? Bitterness. You'd be in jail for bitterness. You you can't get free from something that happened to you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But you're in the prison of your own design. You put yourself there. You put yourself there because you don't have to live there. You don't have to dwell there. You can forgive the way that Jesus forgave freely, finally, and fully. But no, I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah, stay in prison. Stay in prison to a wrong that happened to you when you were in high school. And you haven't been in high school in 40 years. But you still hate that person that did that. And every time you see him, you're just back in prison. I'm in this angry place again. 
I've literally watched people who have made mistakes not be forgiven by their spouse. And no matter what they do, they can never give you free from They're put in prison. But that spouse is just as much in prison as the person they put in prison. So also will my heavenly father, or I'm sorry, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. Amen. I'd start screaming too. So also, this is talking about the kingdom of God. This is talking about what it's like to be in a Christian life. This is what it's talking about to be under the authority of Jesus Christ or under the authority of God in the life of Jesus Christ. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I don't like that, Pastor Andy. I think I'm entitled. No, you're not entitled to anything if you're seeking forgiveness from Jesus Christ. What you're entitled to do is to forgive people who have wronged you. You're entitled to get to a get out of jail free card. If you're put in prison by somebody else, you call upon the father and say, get me out of jail. And he'll summon them in front of him. You want to stand before an angry God because you won't forgive. You really want to stand before God and say, tell him why you, you didn't forgive that person who wronged you when you did so much to him. When you've got $3 million worth of debt that he paid in full, he put his son on the cross for you. He crucified his child for you. I love you, but I don't love you that much. I'm not crucifying one of my children for your sin. You can go to hell. Because that's where you go when you don't get your sins forgiven. Well, I don't like that. I, I can't help that. But I can help you get free from the bondage of your sin. But we're denying Christ when we don't forgive. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trust, others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Meaning this. This, this is what... If you're not a forgiving person, but you claim to be forgiven, I wonder if you're even saved. I wonder if Jesus Christ is really your Savior. Because if Jesus Christ was really your Savior, you would understand what he did to, to free you from the bondage of your sins. And if you're still bitter and angry and upset, I, I just don't see Jesus being that way about our sin. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, meaning putting up with one another. Sometimes you just got to put up with your spouse. She's got to put up with me every day. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one. If you have a complaint against another, you forgive that person. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also must forgive. Must forgive. This is not, he's not saying you can make the choice. If you're going to claim Jesus is your Savior, you must forgive. Or you're not forgiven. I told you I wanted to preach something nice. I tried. I'm just telling you. I tried with all my heart. Everything about Jesus is about forgiveness. And when you don't forgive, you deny him. You're, what you're saying is... You are better than or more worthy of justice than he was. When you deny Jesus, you, you deny Jesus when you think you're entitled to not forgive. So if you're in this room and you've got issues with forgiveness, God's trying to help you. 
you're entitled to forgive. You can forgive your spouse. You can forgive your parents. Maybe your parents were bad parents. And I, I can tell you, as, as a parent of older kids, um, there are times my kids tell me about how bad of a parent I was. And I thought I was pretty good. So you can be a pretty good parent and still have your kids think that you did it wrong. But what you want them to do is forgive you for the wrongs that you did. Amen. We deny Jesus when we think we're entitled to not forgive. And we deny Jesus when we think we're entitled to be served. And I'm, I'm going to quickly go through this because of time and I can tell I'm losing some of you. I see this all the time by people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ who only serve God where it's best for them. I'll only go through this trial because it's best for me or this one's not best for me. Matthew 20, 20, 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. I think this is a little manipulative. I'm just saying, that's just my take on it. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Isn't it true that parents think their children are entitled to more than what they are really entitled to? Your, your kid can't play baseball, but... You think they're entitled because they're on the team to play baseball. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm sure there's something else they're really good at. That they don't have to have a parent get on their knees and beg for something entitlement-wise. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say to these two sons of mine, sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? Are you able to live the life that I'm going to live? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink of my cup. And you will, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. Jesus himself says, I'm not entitled to decide who sits there. Amen. Jesus himself says, I am not entitled to make that decision. It is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant of the two brothers. But Jesus called out to them and said, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Stop. He's talking to us. It shall not be so among you. To think you're entitled to something greater, a higher position. More honor, more praise. It's not, it shouldn't be so among us. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You know the greatest husband is the one who serves his family the greatest. Who doesn't whine about having to serve his family, but he serves his family every day. The greatest wife, the greatest wife on the planet is one who serves her family. Who gives her life in the service of her children and her husband. The greatest teenager is the teenager that serves his or her family. Is that not true, parents? Don't you love that one child you've got out of the six? <laughs> that you know that if you get old and decrepit, they're going to be, be the ones that will move you into their house instead of moving into, Right? Or you've got that one child that they're, when, when it's all in bad shape, like they're going to be the ones taking care of you. That's not a negative towards the other ones. I'm just saying, but you really appreciate that one that's 
that mows the lawn. My kids haven't got that down yet. I even got a riding lawnmower. That doesn't help. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Whoa. Big word. Slave. A slave has no rights. They are bought and paid for. Hey, we were bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, were we not? That means we're slaves to the word of God and the ways of God. It's talking to us. We're not entitled to anything. We're not entitled to anything. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mom thought her sons were entitled to more. Jesus says it's not up to him. He just came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Think about that from a Christian standpoint. What would, how different would Christianity be if we just lived to serve one another instead of serving ourselves? Every selfish act we perform, every responsibility we disregard, every indication of a character that is not conformed to the will of God, anything that we do that does not look like Jesus is a denial of Jesus. It is saying we believe him, but we're not going to live according to him. We're not going to live as he lived. And we see that in forgiveness and we see that in service. Matthew 10, 33, but whosoever denies me before men, him will I deny, I will deny him before my father, which is in heaven. Who is in heaven? Heavy words today, aren't they? 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There's a scripture that says one day we're going to stand before God and he's, he's, we're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and have we not done that and have we not done all these wonderful works in your name? And he says, yeah, but I never knew who you were. Meaning that you didn't live like me. 1 John 2.22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who, den- he, who denies the Father and the Son. Entitlement is the not denial of Jesus Christ. It is the claim you believe something that you're not living. And I'm just reading the scripture. Who is the liar? Which one of you are claiming Jesus Christ to be your Savior, but you will not forgive and you will not serve him? You will not serve your family the way he's asked you to. See, you keep thinking, Christians keep thinking the Antichrist is this big bad guy. In fact, the scripture teaches that there's going to come a day when there's going to be many Antichrists who live in denial of who Jesus Christ is. You know what really saddened me about this? I, I, I've been in, in heavy prayer about this all, most of the week. Not all week, but most of the week. Because my greatest fear is that some of you think you're entitled to not move in this moment. And God is trying to say something to you about your Christian life. He's trying to say something to you about the way you live. He's trying to say something to you about what he wants. And you're, you're still not happy 
and you think you're entitled to something else. You're entitled to repent today. Let me read one last passage and then we'll go home. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, I saved that for last. (laughs) Any comfort from love. Do you realize this word is given in love to you? To live a life that honors Jesus Christ, that does not deny him, but it lets the world know who he is through you, through your forgiveness and through your service. If there's any participation in the spirit, if the spirit of God is moving in you this morning, if he's not moving in you, I would worry that I am so entitled that I reject the words of the spirit of God upon my heart. He's trying to guide you into truth. He's trying to convict you of sin. Any affection and sympathy. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, of the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than than yourselves. Let each of you not only rely on your own interests, but also the interests of others. Maybe your greatest victory is to repent of entitlement and embrace humility. I'm not just trying to teach you a Bible lesson that you can go home and say, well, I think that it means this. God's trying to speak to your heart today. Don't live in denial. Don't live in denial. Don't live in denial. Don't live in denial. Jesus Christ is worthy of more than that. And you can move closer to him today or you can move farther away. Let's stand, please. Father, I know I'm told often by people that they're still thinking. I think we need to do less thinking and more repenting. Father, this week, I spent some time with you forgiving people who have wronged me because I have been holding on to things and it was the denial of my Lord and Savior. I had some attitudes towards serving some complaints, thinking that I was entitled to something, that I'm not entitled to anything. I am blessed that you forgave me of my sins and gave me the opportunity to serve you in any way. I wanted to make sure, Father, that when I brought your word to these people that you're trying to speak to at this moment, in this place, at this time, that they could be free from the attitude of entitlement. And stop denying the Christ they claim in the way they live their lives. I, Father, I believe with all my heart, these are not bad people. I think the world's just got in on us because the world is entitled. Entitled.
And we're not supposed to be like them. We're supposed to be like your son, Jesus. We're supposed to forgive like you forgave. And we're supposed to serve like you served. And there's so many other things that we could have talked about. How different would our families be, Father, if we would just not deny the Christ we claim and live for him. Forgiving our family members. Serving our family members. How different would the church be if we would stop living in denial of the Christ we claim to believe and actually live a kingdom life? Just in these two areas, Father, of forgiving those who have wronged us and serving those who you've saved. Father, I also want to add one last thing. I want to apologize for any time that I have brought reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ and made a mockery of my Lord and Savior. If I have wronged anyone in this building, Father, I pray for forgiveness. But I know I'm not called to live in prison. That's why I ask you to forgive me. Encourage our hearts, Father, to make a decision for you. In Jesus we pray, with all heads bowed, every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're not one who's denied Christ. Maybe you ought to give him some glory and some praise for that. But maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Why don't you just come up to this altar and why don't you just get on your knees and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let him lift you up and just say, Father, this is somebody that I wronged. I need forgiveness. Maybe you'd be honest and just say, I've, I've lived this entire life like I, I'm not living like Christ. I claim him as my Savior. He is my Lord and Savior, and yet I'm not living like Jesus. Maybe you need to come and repent of the, the denial of the very Christ you claim to believe. Come on, church. This isn't just a sermon to inform you about what the Bible says. We're trying to move you closer to Jesus Christ and help you change this world, turn it upside down for the cause of Christ. Maybe you just need to repent of being entitled in your marriage. Repent of being entitled in your church. Repent of being entitled in your job. Or you're like Ephraim who's just going to keep fighting the authority. You're just going to keep fighting people who you think you're entitled to more from.
if you're here and Christ is not your Savior, I want to, again, apologize if any Christian has ever misrepresented Jesus Christ by denying him. And maybe we didn't forgive you for something that you did to us. And Father, I, I just pray that, that you help them to have grace with us. Or maybe we didn't serve them well. Maybe they can't see the sacrifice. Maybe they can't see the suffering that goes into serving you. Father, I also pray for that one that does not know Christ. That I want them to know this is what's expected. When you trust Christ to be your Savior, to receive the forgiveness of sins, you're surrendering your life to His life. And you think you're entitled to live life any way you want. Go ahead, live life any way you want. But you're also going to receive what that entitlement brings at the end of the earth. Separation from God. Say, well, I don't believe that to be true. You're entitled to your belief if you want. You can be wrong. But you're not entitled to discount what the word of God says. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many just be honest with me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling with this idea of entitlement. Come on. Nobody's looking around. Struggling with entitlement. Father, I guess I preached to the wrong congregation. I love you, Jesus. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day Father, we love you. Encourage our hearts to seek your face today. Help us to be honest with you and stop denying the very Christ who saved us from our sins and start living forgiven. We love you so in Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Guys, thanks for coming today. Um, we got two weeks to Easter. Um, don't think you're entitled to not bring somebody. Bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You're, amen? Amen. Have a great day. God bless. Don't forget your kids, please.